Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, December the 17th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God. And this, for this Advent season, we see Christ, who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Jesus preaches on the mount. And this is what's fun is one of the most studied parts of all scripture is a sermon on the mount. And it concerns some very tough subjects, lust, divorce, oaths, something that when we realize that something we need to take more serious, the Lord speaks seriously about it. So we need to, maybe it's time for us to repent. Maybe we need to just dig deeper and understand it better. Obviously all in view of the cross. We take a fresh look at this text that you probably read many times and we pray, O Holy Spirit, open our ears, our eyes and hearts to believe and understand everything in Christ for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thy strong word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. For more information of their great work around the world, visit lhfmissions.org, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's word today, we welcome Pastor Daniel Golden of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Pastor Golden, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Pastor, this is our first time together. I know you've been on KFUO before, but can you spend a few minutes uh, introducing yourself for our, our listeners and your family and the work of the saints at St. Paul? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, my name is Daniel Golden, pastor here at St. Paul. I uh, graduated just about six, seven months ago from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. I am a second career guy, spent my first 21 or 22 years or so in retail management and uh, heard the call of the Lord. And, you know, after some, uh, after some of him talking to me about it and his word, of course, uh, convinced me to go and here I am in uh, West Virginia today, married to Julie. Uh, we have five kids. Four of them are grown and out of state. One, uh, Kelly's in sixth grade. She's with us here. But um, this call here is a gift. And so with God's gift, the word is sacrament. Well, and that's an amazing thing. You're relatively new to the faith, too. I mean, in, in, in spectrum of our typical realities here in as Lutherans. Tell us a little bit about that. You were baptized later in life, not later in life, well, later in in comparison to what age you are now. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, I was baptized about 11 years ago, and uh, I was confirmed as a Lutheran on Christmas Eve will be 10 years, 10 years ago. So just five, six years into my, years into my, into my faith as a, as a Lutheran, but also as a Christian altogether. Um, felt the call to go to seminary, helping out at church a lot, and uh, wanted to do more. Kept wanting to do more and more. So, however the Lord wills, I serve. Uh, uh, we will continue to serve Him. That's for sure. Well, thanks, thanks be to God for that. And there's another highlight that I have here today is that you're my first guest from West Virginia. Obviously, not in the same level of your baptism, but definitely an exciting time for us. For you, our listeners, I have a map up in my office, and I have a marker for all my guests that I've had. You know, and this goes from Canada. I don't have it big enough to go to Australia. I've had Pastor Klein or Dr. Kleinig from Australia on here. But so far, according to my count, 
I've had 38 states represented. So uh, for you, our listeners, if you're in Nevada, let me know your pastor's name. Um, if you're from Arkansas or Louisiana or Kentucky, I want your pastors to be on because, well, as we know, all of our pastors subscribe to the truth of the word and do this every day. So um, West Virginia, um, we'll mark it off, and I hope to have you on again soon here, Pastor, but not to say you're just a little pin in my calendar, but it is a joy to have you with us this morning. Well, well, thank you. They do call it almost heaven down here, and I have to agree. <laughs> Very good. Well, Pastor, as we thank God for today and our opportunity to be in His Word, can you begin our time in prayer? Absolutely. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, such thanks we give you today for the coming of Christ, coming of Christ as a child, and we thank you for the hope promised to us that Christ will come again to, to take us home to the new heaven and new earth where, where the reunion will be so joyful. And we, we thank you, O oh Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ, who, as we study his Sermon on the Mount today, it is his first statement of the gospel, the first statement of Christianity. Uh, may your Holy Spirit guide us, edify us, strengthen our faith. May your word reach our hearts and only the ways that you can do, and only the ways that you can understand. Let your peace rest upon us, for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Reminder to our listeners, if you have any questions concerning our text today, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. And Pastor, we have some, I want to say, well, they're very, they're very direct words, from the Sermon on the Mount, but they can be kind of, they're very difficult for people, for our culture, but also there's a context. I mean, Sermon on the Mount, this is a big deal. So sometimes you're like, okay, how do we start this? How do, how do you want to start us off today? Well, I, I mean, there's certainly some surprises as we start off with in verse 27. And I'm sure you may have talked about, when you talked about the previous section of anger, the different degrees of murder there are. We've got our own contemporary definitions of the different degrees of murderers that have different sentences. But uh, with God, the different degrees of uh, murder include anger and all have the same judgment. So also it is with lust and adultery. Um, and we'll see that continue on through here. And that's something that is kind of troubling because we think probably in more of a, a secular viewpoint, I suppose, um, a viewpoint of what will get me in trouble. I think that's one of the highlights that I've had from previous guests is kind of this, we start to think, okay, will that get me in trouble? Then that's bad. But if it, if it won't get me in trouble, for example, I just thought it, therefore I didn't do it. Therefore it's okay. Um, we have that mindset in our culture and why, I mean, this is different. How, how would you describe that to somebody? Well, it, it... The, it's the darkness of our heart, the darkness that only uh, Christ can shine with light upon. It, it, we're, we're constantly looking for the loophole. Yeah. You know, we'll see that when we come up on the topic of divorce. We're, we're looking for that loophole in the way we can get away with it. Because, hey, hey, if we don't get caught, the secular thought is, then really was it even against the law. If we don't get caught, then, then, then everything's fine. But he who knows us so well... Um, tells us where the evil lies, especially beginning with it, uh, these first four verses. Yeah, Lord have mercy on that. And I do like how you highlighted the anger portion, because that is a, 
that's a big one. I know in confirmation, I want to hear some of your thoughts on this too. In confirmation, you'll go through, um, you know, you shall not murder. You go to the fifth commandment. And actually there's, there's quite the connection here, isn't there? Fifth and sixth commandment kind of up, up by next to each other, but they're kind of, oh, sure. you know, I'm doing pretty well. I, I've never murdered someone. This is where you kind of have a little puffing of the chest, a little bit of a, um, wow. I'm, you know, you feeling pretty good about yourself until Jesus starts speaking here. And the catechism is very clear, speaks in this kind of language. And then you get to the sixth commandment and the same thing. Like, well, I'm pretty good. I've never cheated on my wife. I've never, you know, done these things. I've never gone in those kind of places. And therefore I'm doing pretty good. And, and it levels the playing field. Any, any perspective on that when you've taught this or, or even learned yeah, it? Yeah. The faith. It's a matter if you don't believe in the justification given to us by Jesus Christ, then you begin to even more and more want to justify your own guilt. When we hear, do not murder, you shall not murder. Hey, I never murdered. Will you still not commit adultery? Hey, I never committed adultery. I, I'm on a roll here. Maybe there's something I can do towards my relationship with Christ and, and, and going towards my salvation. Uh, that's, that's the danger here that Christ is clarifying. And clearly that's something that is not only for unbelievers, it's for believers as well, that we will all, it's amazing how often we'll try to justify apart from Christ, which is the beauty of Advent, the beauty of Christmas, the beauty of, of all the, just our theology in general, that justification is only by Christ. And thank you, Pastor, for highlighting that today. Anything else you want to share before we begin, Pastor? No, thanks be to God that uh, we have perpetual forgiveness because in this world, we seem to be perpetual sinners. <laughs> yeah, right. It is uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs, who was our first guest as we went through Matthew, the, the, the writer of the com three commentaries, three volumes of, of Matthew, and he describes Matthew as the book of unbelievable mercy to unbelievable sinners which I thought was a great way for us to always highlight as we look at this. So yeah. I'm ready to go. You ready to go? Absolutely. All right. We are on Matthew chapter 5. Uh, reminder to our listeners, we'll be reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. And I guess I've never said this before. We, we are not uh, saying it has to be ESV, but just so you know that that is a version we are using. So we'll start just by the first two verses as Jesus continues to teach and preach. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So like you said, at this point, the hearers have to be feeling, their, their head has to be spinning after the anger talk and say, well, is he calling me a murderer? And then you're, oh man, I'm just all the way down. And now he gets to lust, something that is, very real for all of us. But like I say, you kind of puff your chest and say, I've never cheated on my wife. I've never cheated on my husband. And then he just kind of, he just plows us over like a bulldozer here. Well, what's going on here in these first two verses? Well, he's teaching us the, the source of the evil, the source of the sin begins in the heart. It's, you know, it's what flows out of the mouth that he files. Uh, and this is not the only time that it's mentioned, even in the even in the Gospel of Matthew, later on, Jesus will say, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, and specifically murder, adultery, sexual immorality, death, false witness, witness and slander. Uh, this is what defiles a person. And uh, he's beginning to teach this here, and he's taken away the ability for us to uh, 
the, to justify ourselves, the desire to want to, to save ourselves from breaking the commandment. And I think about it this way, too. One of the main themes that we've been looking at is the reign of God, that in Christ, the reign of God looks different than the reign of society. The kingdom is, is a word that's often used, is that a king will want to, his focus is only on the outward. So his focus is on, okay, did you murder that guy? No. Okay, good. We're good to go. You're, you're, you're innocent. Did you, did you cheat on your wife? No. Are you, you know, are you doing this or you're stealing this or whatever it might be? And now Jesus is not only showing that his reign is of compassion, but also showing that, by the way, I know everything. <laughs> I even know what's going on yeah. in your heart. And so his kingdom reign is one that knows everything, but yet he still has compassion. And I've just been thinking about that. that this reveals Jesus as our king, that he even knows within the heart. That can be quite terrifying, but also um, comforting. Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, it is uh, it's a bit terrifying that our, de our desire of the heart conflict with God's desire for us to be reconciled. Uh, to hear that sort of news uh, makes us feel that need to be, uh, to be saved, really. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> so what, what's, what, let's get down to, to simplicity on this. 27, 28, what is each saying about each one of us here? Uh, he's saying that all of you commit adultery, uh, plain and simple. If you want to put it in just a few short words, uh, you all commit adultery. And one thing that I, I find interesting is that uh, there is a congregation hearing this sermon. It may be a few disciples. We know it's at least uh, at least the called ones. Um, it is possible that there is a public case of adultery going on, but it could also not be public because what is in the heart. Uh, Jesus, no, Jesus can see directly in. So it, it, there's, he wouldn't preach it without a reason. True. Very true. Yeah. So there's a little bit of uh, discomfort in the room. Um, no doubt about it because, and it goes like with our culture as well, that you might think it, but you sure are not going to say it. Um, you might, because we all, you know, when you sit in a church there definitely is the word of God works the way it works. And, and we all sit there with, with sin. And this one in particular is a major one in our culture is, is the lust that will lead to other um, types of issues. How, how destructive this is. Dr. Gibbs in his commentary speaks very strongly about this is where it begins. And the destructiveness that happens when people act upon this lust is, is greatly significant for relationships, for families, um, for the church, uh, for neighbors, everything. And it's so destructive, even when it's in the heart, because then it leads to everything else. And so any, any, do you have any thoughts on, especially pastorally, of why we need to be speaking about this particular subject a lot? Well, it, it's putting a, you know, it's, it's putting a campfire out versus putting a house fire out. Um, you know, let, let's, Stop the spark before uh, before it burns the whole house down. Uh, it, it certainly spreads, and uh, Jesus is about to escalate it for us. Actually, yeah, yeah, he and he does go from here very much so. And it's it's one of the situations that I want to talk to you, our listeners, a little bit. Is that one of the situations that this comes to? Um, and Pastor, if you have any thoughts on this, I want you to 
uh, piggyback on it as well, is that this is something that maybe has never manifested to us, but it is something that's very true and it's in a very dark place. And it, it comes down to pornography that people will um, be using. It's it's rampant. It's everywhere. It's a, it's a real thing of people of all ages and something that I think Jesus is really hitting on here. So for you, our listeners, there, if you struggle with that, that there is hope, that there is light in the midst of that darkness. I know there's different programs like Triple X Church is one group that works within that. Talk to your pastor. Talk to others because it is something that, one, as Pastor Golden has said so well today, that we all fall short in the glory of God and we need God's grace. But also there are those there to support you, your pastor, the people at your church. Um, obviously, there's confidential things that, that, that need to be done as well. But overall, um, remember Christ and look to him. And uh, there, there is always light in the midst of that darkness. Any of your thoughts on that, Pastor? It's a very real thing in our world. Yeah, you know, that's interesting that you bring up pornography because pornography, uh, with the equivalency that Jesus is making here, it's the same as prostitution. You know, when we see the word prostitute in Scripture, we think of the, we think of the contemporary definition of what a prostitute is. But uh, does not pornography do the same thing since we're committing adultery in our heart? Right, right. So as we said, um, Talk to your pastor, talk to, to, to others in your church, people you trust. And like I said, there are different programs online. Triple X Church is the one that I know I've directed people to and a very important piece to point us to the truth of God. Now, Pastor, I wanted to ask this question too. This is a hypothetical that I've never experienced, but I've heard other pastors experience. Is it says right here that uh, if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery. So therefore, this command is only for men. Um, when they're attracted to women. Uh, so, so women are off the hook. What do you think? Uh, well, I think maybe the congregation hearing this might be men, but I, I certainly wouldn't make that divide. Oh, must be women don't make that, don't have that lustful intent as well. Cause this point that Jesus makes with adultery is certainly expanded on to both of the genders. Um, the law applies to man as it applies to women in this. When it, when it comes to adultery. Very good. Very good. So we'll continue on. I'm sorry, Pastor, do you have anything else you want to highlight in 27, 28? Not, not initially in those two, no. Very good. So as we look at, uh, we continue on, like you said, he steps up his game. I mean, he makes it, at first you're like, oh, so I just committed adultery, no big deal. But then he makes it a salvation issue. This is not just a little petty sin that's no big deal. No, this has um, implications for people's salvation. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, now it gets real. What, what, is, what is he saying? This can be very easily misinterpreted or misunderstood. What is, what is he saying? Yeah, I mean, Jesus uh, speaking in, this, in such hyperbole, you tell you what, it, it catches your attention. And I, think that, and I think that is, of course, intended to make a point, but there's also, there's also truth with that. We've got the eye in the hand, so there's certainly an escalation that when you commit adultery and with lustful intent, that, that's done with the eyes. And if it's 
something that's done in fleshly, uh, that's your right hand causing the sin. So we have this pattern of degrees, the first degree of this, adultery in the first degree, adultery in the second degree, and um, the comparison, the eternal consequences are exactly the same, that your whole body be thrown into hell, to go into hell. Um, both degrees liable to hell. But from the thoughts of the heart to the eyes, looking for the hands touching, Jesus warns us of evil, di- evil desires that escalating to act that would require removal. Um, to think it in your, to think it in your mind is just as much of a sin as uh, taking action with your hands, if you will. Um, and it goes back to the same teaching of the heart defiling the person in the eyes of God, not the hand. Um, even though he's saying cut it off and throw it away, he's also saying it's a scandal, whether it be a public sin or not, whether it be. Uh, acted out and everybody knows about it, whether it be just in your mouth, um, if your right eye, quite literally in the Greek, scandalizes you, if your sinful flesh car- ca- carries out the action of evil thought, you know, in the modern world, we classify this action as a scandal acted out. But Jesus teaches us the source of evil in the heart. It's the evil that contaminates the body, the disease spreads. And I find this interesting. There's some people that actually will say that this could, this could also be representative of a, of a church body or of a, of a congregation. Well, if that is so, this could also be with an entire church body. Um, do we accept sin? Do we, if we do not heed this warning, we will begin to be open and accepting, as some churches out there do advertise, advertise it strongly. Um, but we accept everything. Now, now we, we Christians, we, we Lutherans, we're open and we're accepting of sinners. Um, the warning we have here is uh, not, to, not to be open and accept the sin, the sin, the evil that, that lies within. I like how one of my members, one of our beloved members, he, in, in a very gracious way, always reminds me, well, Pastor, we do call people to repentance, right? And it's it's a very true thing because we can become very, it can be a very quick line where we say, we accept all sinners. And then all of a sudden, oh, so you accept what they're doing. Ah. You know, and then the other side, I think it's, I think the wording is okay, but it really has been abused in our culture where, you know, love the person, hate the sin. And I think that, that, that wording is, is probably okay, but it has so many connotations for today's world. But I like how you said it, that, that, that we are accepting of all sinners. And then we have to be always, and this is why law gospel is so important to us as, as Lutheran Christians, to be able to distinguish those things while realizing the gospel is what, what saves, the gospel is what changes hearts and so forth. Pastor, that's a lot for us to, I mean, sometimes you feel like you're splitting hairs, but it's absolutely vital as we talk about such things. Any of your thoughts on, on how that plays out for our Christian life? Um, yeah, I, I really think it speaks to the sanctity of marriage. Um, we're beginning to get here, Jesus' stance on Genesis 1 and 2 when it comes to one flesh. And this will continue to play out as we talk about the, the next section in divorce, uh, 
the standards have not changed. Jesus is not the addition to the law. Yes. Jesus is the fulfilling of the law. And the one flesh institution by God must be honored. And this is how uh, this is how it is. It has to be truly honored. I want you to say that again. Jesus is not the addition to the law. How would you say that? Yeah, Jesus is not an add-on to our religion. Like uh, I, I go to church, and I've heard it said before. I go to church to get my God on. Oh yeah, and Jesus is there too. Um, if Jesus doesn't permeate your sermons, and and you're hearing a sermon that doesn't drip with forgiveness on account uh, of the atonement of Christ, then then Jesus is just this friendly guy add-on. You know, he's your buddy that walks with you. And, uh, goes through life with you. No, no, it's, it's so much more than that. Jesus fulfills um, fulfills the law uh, as we as we learn later on in Matthew, actually. Mm-hmm. And part of that, designed by God, that God called very good, is that two become one flesh, and so be it that and blessed by God. And Jesus is warning against breaking that one flesh. Ultimately, that is really profound to you, our listeners. I would really consider using that language right there. I love it. Jesus is not the addition to the law. Jesus is not the, uh, an addition to faith. He is a central piece of it. Like you said, dripping of grace from the cross of our Lord Jesus. Yeah. I think that's, um, I'm going to have to figure out how to put that into a new tagline. I'll, I'll give you all the credit as pastor golden would say, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is an important piece as we, especially we look at the sermon, on the Mount, you know, it's not just an, an addition. It is the main thing. Um, pastor, anything else, like I said, this is very strong language showing us the seriousness of sin, seriousness of sin, that if you're doing this sin and it's leading you away from God, it is better for you to cut off your hand than it is to keep doing it. Any, any other thoughts on that strong language? Uh, no, no, I, I appreciate the strong language because it really does draw the leader in. Yeah, I, I imagine, I mean, for me, it wasn't too long ago, but imagine being the first time you read this. And you literally, you literally, you think physically rather than spiritually the first time you read this. Absolutely. You're imagining you gouging your eye out. And then it makes you think, though, well, how bad must hell be? Like Jesus says, it's better for you to gouge your eye out uh, than to be thrown in the hell. So there's some fear of the Lord in here, too. We should fear and love God. Um, so we do not, as, as the language we use in the small catechism. Yeah. Right now, yeah. right now, Pastor, we need to take our break. We are studying Matthew chapter 5 with Pastor Daniel Golden, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are studying Matthew chapter 5 with Pastor Daniel Golden, pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And Pastor, we've we've gotten through the first few verses, but I, it is important for us to have those verses down before we get to the next section, which is 
Um, you know, it's something that is very, very important for us to talk about today. But I just wanted to check one more time. Anything else on those first number of verses that we've gone through so far? No, not really. We're going to see a lot of uh, interweaving of themes here as we get into the, the subject of divorce. Well, let's continue on. Um, verses 31 and 32, when Jesus addresses divorce. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. Whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, just a, a reminder to everyone, we are very fully aware of this being a very sensitive subject. This is a very real subject for, for you, our listeners, for us as as pastors within our own families and everything that we do. So as we look at this, first of all, we subscribe to the, the word is true. Now the question is not, well, that doesn't really apply to today. No, how is it true? It is true. So what does this mean for us? How do we see this? Obviously with the umbrella of a, a God who has healing in his wings, a God who has died for all sins. And so as we look at this, we want to make sure that we, one, take this serious, two, realize what is the grace that our Lord gives in all sin, and as we look at this today. So, Pastor, how do you want to start us off as we as Jesus speaks about divorce? Oh, gosh. Well, yeah, these are a rich two verses. I guess to get the technicalities out of the way, what's the certificate uh, talking about? Well, following Old Testament law, uh, divorce has to have a certificate signed by the high priest. You know, uh, this goes back to fulfilling the law. Jesus is going to get something contrary. Um then, of course, our, our sin for sinful selves who already said, yeah, I haven't murdered one. I haven't committed adultery. Um, that seems sinful, old Adam. Ah, now I've got an exception, except uh. on the ground of sexual immorality. So uh, Jesus has an exception here, and it's for the sin against. Uh, divorce for any other reason causes the other spouse to sin. It's, it's what we're reading here on the surface. And anyone who marries that spouse is now adulterous. Um, it, it sounds like we're all doomed, really. But this does speak of the previous escalation that when we were talking about adultery. The fleshly taking action rather than the intention of the eyes of the previous sin of adultery, this has different consequences. But divorce so permeates our society that Christians do tend to look for the loophole. Um, but e even as we hear about uh, divorce again in chapter 19 of Matthew, who's looking for the loophole? It's actually the Pharisees looking for the loophole. Uh, and, and we know, we know uh, anytime we even hear the word Pharisees, we who hear the word of God, uh, we, we sort of cringe like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm not supposed to look for the loophole. Um, but the question, you spoke of this controversy a, a little bit, and it's a question that arises the most, is that you know, may divorced and remarried people remain church members? Or are they living in some sort of unrepentant open sin? Especially since verse 32 puts them in the state of constant adultery. And uh, we do know that like uh, other churches, like the Roman Catholic, church. They grant annulments that allow remarriage. But this begs us to ask the question, if a divorce is discussed, uh, 
Well, whose fault is the divorce? Who's the one that's being sexually immoral? Well, divorces are not clean and easy as a, as a contract. Um, it's not always determinable. Um, but we are to remember that marriage after divorce is preferable to cohabitation. The ideal marriage of the sermon remains to be one flesh, one marriage without divorce. Genesis 1 and 2 is the rule and norm for marriage, not, gen- not Genesis 3. Uh, uh, this is a rule of thumb. This is a rule of thumb to keep in mind when it comes to, when it comes to our, our marriages. This is the way it was from the beginning. It's the expected standard uh, as the two become one flesh. Now, you had mentioned before how, um, I can't remember the name of the professor, he named it on the, the introduction to Matthew mm-hmm. here, but uh, lo- yeah, it's loaded with forgiveness. Um, but in this, Christ granted a loaded with grace exception. Instead of looking at this as, oh, how, how can I get away with a divorce? We need to look at this as Christ sees our sin, mourns our sin. Even even at times he gets angry at the angry at the sin, as we see in the in the marketplace of the temple. Yeah. This exception is loaded with the grace of Christ. Outside of that exception, if two people get divorced just because they don't get along, they are thereby treating the one flesh as disposable. So if my shoes get old in five years and they wear out, uh, I, I'll end up throwing them away or, or donating and getting a, a new pair. Yeah. Marriage is not disposable. Um, going further, if they remarry, if, except on the grounds of sexual morality, if they remarry, the one flesh principle is tossed away because other fleshes are intermingled or commingling. Um, so, again, Jesus is speaking true to God's institution of marriage. And I really like how you highlighted that because it is something where, for example, there was a, a person that I know who, who had a divorce and one of his comments was, well, it was probably for the best. And, and, and that was a comment that by a brother pastor is said, no, actually it wasn't, it wasn't for the best. This was not God's will. It's God's will that we live a sexually pure and, um, decent life and what we say and do and husbands and wives love and honor each other that that is god's will so we don't try to baptize it into something like well see it worked out no we 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 know that god works through our sins he works through the brokenness that's there but we don't want to start baptizing it as if that was um what god wanted actually at the end of the day um at the same time yeah. you know at the same time a number of years ago three or four years ago i can't remember exactly but i i preached on this text and 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 i and i spoke about how when there is a divorce there 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 is sin and i'm not like pointing at one person or the other but no matter what the situation was there was brokenness there was sinfulness there and i remember i asked because i know there's people in my congregation that have have have, have, have been divorced and 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 the list of of situations are as long as the day is long and and i and i invited people to talk to me about it like tell me more about these situations and all of it every single situation there's like five or six people that came and spoke to me 
it, it, you just felt the brokenness that was there. And, and it, it was wonderful to, for them to be able to talk about it, for us to be able to, to speak about the brokenness there, the sin that, that happens within that. And then also, like you said, the loaded with grace um, understanding of everything. And it really is interesting to me that this follows the adultery piece because it, it kind of puts us in a situation that when we lost, we are in essence um, in our hearts committing a divorce of sorts. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's one of those situations where it's, we know the standards and we know what's happening there. And, and at the same time, we realize that, wow, I, I need to repent, even if I'm still married as I am, even if you've never been divorced, I need to repent as well because it's not as if I've been sinless in this marriage of my own. Any thoughts you have? Right. Uh, yeah, actually, when it comes to, uh, when this adultery and divorce comes up in catechism class, I usually teach about marriage to the, to the younger generation. And, you know, we learned that in, in the secular world, in the whole world, the divorce rate in our nation is about, what, one or three, maybe even almost one or one and two now. Right. Um, there was a research study done, gosh, it was at least 15 years ago, for any couple that regularly attends a Christian church on Sunday, that divorce rate drops to one in 55. For any couple, in the same study, for any couple that regularly attends church, attends a Christian church on Sunday and has some sort of word of God permeating their daily life, whether it be a simple devotion, whether it be praying together, do you know that the divorce rate drops to below one in 1,000? Wow. One in 1,000. It's amazing what God's word can do for a marriage. So if anybody out there is, is looking in this and saying, wow, I might be on the edge of divorce, and I really... You know, divorce is a sin. There's really no other way to yep. put that. It goes yep. against the, the one flesh institution of God. And so I encourage you too, um, for you, our listeners, that if you've been affected by divorce, whether you've, you've gone through a divorce or you're struggling in your marriage, like Pastor said, um, talk to your pastor. If you don't have a church, find a church. Talk to your pastor and he'll step with you, go with you step by step pointing to the cross, pointing to the truth, and being in the Word. And the Holy Spirit will work through that, and we pray that healing may occur. Pastor, any any thoughts on, well, all the verses we've gone through thus far? No, I, I mean, divorce is a sin that has its consequences, and the pain runs through not only the husband and wife, but children and family and such. But never forget that Christ is fully loaded with grace that just overflows. And, and for those who have gone through it in the past before, uh, know that you are forgiven. Well, thanks be to God for that. Um, Pastor, we look at oaths is the next, <laughs> the next situation. And this one can be quite challenging because we speak about oaths differently. So, well, let's start that way. I'll start this way before I even read it. Is if I were to say to you, Pastor, I, I'm going to make an oath, um, or if someone were, I'm going to make an oath. What would you think they're saying? Like, what would be an equivalent to an oath in today's world? That they're willing to put up some sort of sacrifice if if the oath is not followed through on. Ah, okay. Whether it be themselves or someone else. Gotcha. And then I always think about you know the oath of office, you know, for the president, you know, put their, 
to this point, put their hand on a Bible and stand before, you know, the Capitol and, and make an oath that they are going to do this and do this and do this. And it's, it's interesting for us to be able to make that distinction with these words um, because we can say, oh, I don't ever have to make an oath. So then you're like, well, what do we do with confirmation then? Um, how, how do we define this <laughs> is a very important thing for us as Christians to be able to make and distinguish it along with understanding what's going on in our hearts. And any other, um, I guess, precursor thoughts on this? <laughs> no, no, yeah, this, is, this, this can be a, a troubling one to understand, but um, there's, there's a way to think about this uh, simply and, and answers. And you know, Christ actually begins with uh, keeping it simple. So we'll talk about that. Yeah. Very good. All right, so we'll read the rest of our text. And actually, I do have an... Uh, I forgot about this. I have a question that has come in about divorce, but I'm going to, um, I'm going to wait on that to go through the oaths and come back to that a little bit later. Cause I think we kind of addressed it, but I want to make sure we cover this question. So verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is a throne of God or by the earth or is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So, okay, um, we'll start with the simple, <laughs> the simple uh, translation of what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying? Uh, well, oaths on an oath in this Sermon on the Mount, they're, they're condemned for a couple of reasons. Do not take a take an oath made by the heavens or the earth or any of creation, let alone saying something like, I swear to God, I'll do this or I'll do that. And the second part is don't, don't be, um, you should not take an oath swearing by the future. Um, the more we think that we have the future in our hands, the less we have faith the future in God's and so let's 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 break that down a little bit. And for me, partly because I've read through this so many times and reading through commentaries, it's all okay. How does that how does that relate to today? Because there are oaths per se that we have to make. Let's say that one of our members gets elected into office and they have to make an oath to follow the Constitution, or you go to a um, um, a police academy, and they make an oath to continue in these, to follow the laws, or a lawyer, or, you know, we'll start with more of a secular view. Sounds to me like an oath is not a bad thing. So what's the problem? Uh, the problem is, is it done with the acknowledgement that what that thy will be done? And I, I think that's the simplicity that, that ties this all together. You know, if I'm asked in a, in a confirmation oath, an ordination oath, there's reasons that we say, yes, I will, comma, with the help of God. Uh, and, you know, if his will be done, um, if we do not affirm or confess that his will be done, um, then we are uh, lacking faith. So let's break that down, like you said, in confirmation. Um, and as I look at that in our, in our, in our hymnal is that you'll say, do you intend to hear the word of God and receive the Lord's supper faithfully? 
Um, do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word and deed, to remain true to God the Father and the Holy Spirit? And to that point, okay, good. Even to death. So, uh, so uh, first of all, it's hard to it's hard to know fully what you are committing to at this point. But how is that, like you said, thy will be done? How would you describe that to a young person? Okay, this is about you saying thy will be done in this process. How would you describe that to somebody, especially when they read Matthew 5? Well, I, I think you said the word, and that's intention. And there's a difference between having the intention to uh, hear the word of God with the help of God. The difference between that and saying, I will do this, just to basically prophesying, prophesying future action. You know, and even if it's something minute, I, I could say, uh, God is my witness, tomorrow I will mow the lawn. Um, it, it, it seems trivial, but you cannot make one hair white or black. What's up with that, Jesus? That seems trivial. And that's exactly the point. We must confess that the entire future is completely and wholly in God's hands. So that's, <laughs> it, I mean, for me, it brings up so many questions and not, I'm not, you know, cause it, it is something obviously I believe, but the struggle is, well, then are you saying then therefore I don't have to plan anymore? I can just kind of live by the seat of my pants. I'm, I'm good to go. You're telling me it's all in God's hands. So don't make any oaths whatsoever. How would you, how would you speak to someone who speaks that way? Yeah, we still bear the fruit of our faith if we think we can just continue in sin and enjoy the grace and forgiveness of God, uh, then, then we've lost our fear of the Lord. Uh, we've lost our love of the Lord, and we're certainly not trusting Him um, for our future. So let's think about this for a moment. Is In the church, there are many times we give oaths. And I'm trying to think of a list. Let's kind of make up a list as we're going here. We make an oath when our child is baptized, and we say that we'll raise this child in the faith. What other times do we make oaths that really what we're saying is, thy will be done? And this is, I love how you said that, because that, that kind of opens up a, a new perspective on everything we do in the church and as Christians, that we are not only confessing what's in the hymnal, but we're also saying, thy will be done. What other times do we do that as Christians? Yeah, the, the sponsor of a baptism promises to pray for the baptized as their sponsors. Um, you know, it, and when we pray, I mean, the, the most popular prayer out there is, thy will be done in it. We acknowledge, if it be your will, O Lord, um, uh, keep this baptized child in the faith. Um, Everything is tied to the Lord's will for what we do in church. Uh, the Lord wills us to uh, the Lord wills us to make promises of intentions in the church, whether it be confirmation or even going back to the wedding vow. I, I promise to be faithful till death do us part. Uh, in the wedding vows, you know, God, God is the witness, um, and as long as his will be done, then, uh, then you can, you can make promises with that. I don't want to say it's, it's, uh, it's not an exception necessarily because we can make a mockery of exception. So then I can say, well, I'll go back to my mowing the lawn example. If I can say, well, if the Lord wills, I will mow the, 
lawn tomorrow, honey. You know, if the Lord wills, I I will take out the trash tonight. <laughs> well, no, then we're mock- making a mockery of the will. Ah, uh-huh, um, sure. And that's where and that's where God says, "Keep it simple." Jesus says, "Keep it simple." Will you take out the garbage tonight? Yes, I will, honey. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> nice. uh, it, rather than uh, r- rather than swearing or taking an oath on the uh, on the future. Um, our entire lives are exposed to God. Even the trivial black and white hairs on our, even the seemingly trivial thoughts of our heart in, in adultery and and what might seem as a trivial divorce, even. But so. Even under the will of God, in today's society, especially in the past five to ten years, we may think of this, oh, so being a Christian just means that Big Brother is always watched. You know, our, our life is exposed to God. No, no, this is actually a comforting thought. God has our future in his hands. If we were to have the, the, our own future of, of life in, in heaven in our hands, uh, then worry angst, it, it, would, it would tear us apart. Anything more than a simple yes or no about the future is Satan's motivation to trick you into thinking that you have control over your future. And you know the mistakes that I personally made and make, and the mistakes I'm sure I will make, thanks be to God, it's not in my hand. I, I turn it all over. I turn my burdens and and, and Turn myself over to His will. This, uh, this, this simplicity of the confession of Thy will be done, if Lord wills, it acknowledges the Creator's control over the future of creation, and it, and it is faithful. Um, and so, as we look at this, now I'm really thinking about all the oaths that we make as Christians, like you said, in our baptisms. Um, our parents make an oath, our, our sponsors make an oath, confirmation, we make that oath. And I'm reminded of just a few episodes ago when we have Jesus calling his disciples and says, come and I will make you fishers of men. And, and they drop their nets and go. This oath that we make is not an oath that we make and saying, oh, I know exactly what I'm doing at all times. It's no different than when we're baptized and the godparents, they are still going to learn how this goes. As parents, you're still trying to figure this out. My, you know, you, your kids are, are older. My kids are in their teenage years, basically all of them. And, and you're like, I'm still feel like I'm making this stuff up as I go. Um, and so you, you know, and, and, and James and John, they didn't really know exactly. Simon Peter obviously didn't really know when you're married. Uh, I was just looking at the, the marriage, right. And you have the, when they, when they speak their vows, it says, according to God's holy will, I pledge to you my faithfulness, which I think is a fascinating thing because, okay, this is what marriage is now, Lord. I'm going to try to live this way according to your will, and I'm going to be as faithful as I can. And to me, that's that's the call of the Christian. Ordination vows are very much so the same, that we make this commitment. This is what I'm going to do. What's this going to look like? I'm leaving it in your hands. Why is it so important for yeah. us? It's so important for us as Christians to be able to say, I'm going to leave this. To our... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you, you, you were on a roll. Keep going. Yeah, it, I think it's important to our identity, not not necessarily who we are, but whose we are. Um, we are subordinate. We're subordinate to God in these vows and promises and oaths that we make. 
in his presence in the church, uh, in these vows, we are simply confessing um, that he is, that he has all power. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Um, but we are subordinate and he is our Lord. Which is very, like you said before, it's very comforting because a lot of times we think we're in control. We want that control. But the reality is, what a joy it is to be able to hand it over because then we're able to live freely and with peace, hopefully, in our vocations, in our lives, in our loving our families and loving our neighbors and receiving his gifts, knowing full well that tomorrow is in God's hands. My past is forgiven as you, you know, loaded with grace. Another great line. Jesus is not the addition to the law, loaded with grace. That's another, I mean, this is going to be the goldenisms I'm going to continue to have on the show. <laughs> um, but it really is, I mean, the future is in his hands and the past is loaded with his grace as well. Yeah, and sometimes it's not always done in joy and comfort. Sometimes it's like, ah, I'm so happy I can just let God handle it. Sometimes we just, we stand, we're a victim of our own sins and anxiety. Uh, Like, um, if I get get behind in in my work in the church, I get frustrated. I can't do this. I don't know why I can't do this. I shouldn't be able to do this. Ah, I give up, God. It's all you. And lo and behold, he takes care of it more than I could ever imagine or ask him to. So, Pastor, I have one question. We have about four minutes left in our time. A question that did come in about uh, divorce. And the question is this from one of the listeners. um, Is they said, when somebody gets a divorce and they remarry, I've heard it said that that means that you're committing adultery. How How would you, as pastors, tell somebody yes or no to that idea what would your what would your answer be to that well i I would i would wonder what their faithful response to the divorce was is is it something they mourned are they mourning it are they mourning it as a sin are they saying oh it was like you said before it was for the best um are they mourning it as something terrible that happened that that caused pain uh on both sides of the family kids and parents and such. And because the mourning of sin leads to repentance. And in faith, confession has two parts. That we repent for our sins, that we're sorry for them, that we mourn them, that we're contrite, but also that we believe in the grace of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of that of that sin and divorce. So now having repented, having been forgiven now what do you do? Should you go off and be tempted to live in cohabitation? Or should you return to the one flesh rule of thumb from Genesis 1 and 2? And as we learn in Scripture, it, 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 is, uh, it is better to return to that rather than uh, being tempted to cohabitate. I think that's a great answer. Pastor, we have about a minute left in our time. How would you summarize these verses we've studied today and the importance for us today as well? Well, especially in this first one-third or so of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, um, it sounds like he's just dropping the hammer. Uh, He's just dropping it left and right on all this new stuff that's uh, being added. These disciples have just dropped everything, dropped their livelihood. You know, some may have left their families and then following this Jesus, and here they are, the first, the first sermon. And he's saying, well, here's everything that I know you're doing, and here's everything you can't do. Um, 
this is a this is a preparation of sorts. This is a preparation for the gospel. This is the same gospel that he started out the sermon with. You know, when you realize evil comes from your heart, when you realize that the worst is sin, when you realize that you don't have control over your future, you become poor in spirit. And then lo and behold, blessed are you. That's another theme that Dr. Gibbs, uh, Jeffrey Gibbs, spoke about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And you know what? After these verses, we know that we are. But when I am weak, I am strong because of Christ. Pastor Daniel Golden of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. Our first pastor from West Virginia, this <laughs> here on Thy Strong Word for me. But the joy of it is that you gave us God's strong word from Matthew chapter 5. Pastor Golden, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Hey, thank you. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.